Welcome to Community of Resistance, the podcast where I speak with activists who do the work of resisting the empire. To try to give people who are interested in activism and advocacy the kinds of practical tools they need to pursue justice and peace. Today my guest is Reverend Christine Eggert, who is the Executive Director of God Before Guns, a multi-faith coalition of individuals and faith communities working to reduce gun violence, based in Cleveland, Ohio. Her gun violence activism has brought her into many faith communities, public rallies, community organizations, the State House in Columbus, Ohio, and the Halls of Congress. Reverend Eggert is a graduate of Christian Theological Seminary in Indianapolis with a Master's of Divinity and is ordained in the Christian Church Disciples of Christ. Reverend Eggert served as the Associate for Membership and Evangelism at Geist Christian Church and a Senior Pastor at Northwood Christian Church in Indianapolis. She served until her retirement in 2015. Post-retirement, she and her husband David became active in the greater Cleveland community, working to address and effect change in a variety of social justice issues. She's a frequent guest preacher. Reverend Eggert and her husband, David Eggert, are the co-founders of God Before Guns. They are the parents of four grown children and three young grandchildren. Well, welcome, uh, Christine. We're really happy to have you this morning and uh, to get a chance to talk about uh, all of the issues surrounding gun violence. Uh, thank you, Derek. Um, thanks for the invitation. I always appreciate an opportunity um, to get the word out about gun violence. Very, very glad that you're here. L- let me ask you a, a question about um, the fact that you were a pastor and uh, when you retired, you started to do this work full-time, or not full-time, but, but in earnest, right, uh, in retirement, about around surrounding gun violence. How did you make that, that, that move uh, from, from the parish to uh, this kind of advocacy work? Actually, Derek, the advocacy work began while I was still a local pastor, the, uh, it was a progression for me of, of being upset and uh, angry and sad over mass shootings like Columbine and Virginia Tech and mm-hmm. the Aurora Theaters and Gabby Giffords and the list goes on and on. When sh- the shootings happened at Chardon High School early in 2012, and mm-hmm. that made a school shooting that most people remember because there weren't as many people who died. However, Chardon High School was was close to where I was serving as pastor, and we had families in our congregation who had children at Chardon High School. They didn't suffer injuries that day, but of course they were affected that day. Mm -hmm. So I started a conversation with the junior high and high school youth in my church and found out that no matter what school system these kids attended, that they had been through lockdown drills, that they had been in situations where guns had been found in lockers or, or there had been something happened in the neighborhood and they were put on lockdown. So I started becoming more aware that this was an issue for, for kids universally in, uh, in America. Then when Sandy Hook happened mm. late year, uh, I had a sermon I was going to preach that Sunday and found on Friday afternoon that 
it would no longer be the sermon that I needed to preach. And I tore it up and started in for Sunday morning, reflecting that we had gone through the horror as a country that 20 first graders were killed in less than five minutes mm. in a place where they should have been safe with their, their teachers. So that, that started. Christmas was a couple of weeks later. Uh, I preached again about the issue, and I said, I, I need to talk about this. I, I need to be in a group of people and to figure out what to say and what to do. And so we just started gathering at the church on Tuesday nights. Uh, we had people who came and stayed, others who would wander in and out occasionally. We sort of didn't know what to talk about. We cried a lot. We prayed. We talked about a lot of things. And then from that, uh, we started being more regular in our attendance. We started to see the formation of, of something more than just we're going to sit and talk about this. So then a, a few months later, God Before Guns was formed. Then in retirement, a few years later, then I was able to devote more time. But certainly people in my church where I was pastor knew that this was an issue for me because they heard about it a lot from, from the pulpit. Right. Um. Which raises a question for me about uh, the extent to which your faith impacts your views about guns and violence. That I, I assume that uh, your position on this issue is largely driven by your faith. But tell me about how that works for you. Well, my faith informs everything that I'm doing about gun violence. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not a gun owner. I have never been a gun owner. I don't ever intend to be a gun owner, but I'm not opposed to anyone owning a gun. The sport of hunting doesn't mean anything to me, but I appreciate that it is important uh, to many other people. So it's, it's when the gun is used in a violent way that that's, that's when my faith kicks in because I'm a child of God, you're a child of God, we all are children of God, and I just don't believe that God intends for us to do harm to each other mm-hmm. right? um, and or to ourselves. And guns are also used in far too many suicides because the availability of a gun uh, and someone using it, it's almost always going to be going to be fatal. And I, I don't think that's how God intends for us to live. God doesn't intend for us to be afraid of each other or to be armed against each other. And then I'm a follower of Jesus. And uh, Jesus was our Prince of Peace. Jesus told Peter to put down his sword when perhaps Peter could have saved his life. So my faith informs everything that I do about this issue. The name of our organization, God Before Guns, comes from our belief that there are many who have gun ownership as a very high priority in their lives, sometimes to the degree that they are idolizing their guns, that their guns are more important to them than than their faith, that the Second Amendment, though it is the law of the land, uh, that Second Amendment is somehow placed 
above the Ten Commandments of shall not create idols or that you shall not, you shall not kill. Mm-hmm. So uh, everything that, uh, that is, that has to do with our organization is, is about our faith. We're, we're multi-faith. I, I am Christian. But there are other, other faith traditions represented. Yes, yes, right. Other faith traditions are represented. The, our founders are, uh, are Christian. But uh, yes, we have a Muslim representation and Jewish representation on, and, uh, on our board, Protestant and Roman Catholic as well. Uh, that's interesting. Tell me, do you um, do you have conversations with one another about the extent to which uh, I, each other's uh, faith traditions impact their views? Of, I mean, do do you do you all talk about the sort of interfaith stuff? Um, as to why it's important to Jews, why it's important to Muslims, and that kind of thing, or or do you focus mostly on um, on the work of, of of trying to push forward uh, some some common sense regulations? We certainly talk about the interfaith aspect of the work that we're doing. On our website, we have uh, a page that is devoted to what other, what Protestant denominations, uh, what Muslims, what uh, Jewish organizations are saying about gun violence, what their policies are. So it's important to us to recognize that we might come at this from some different perspectives. Um, We can unite through those different perspectives. We can unite to move forward, to make a difference legislatively and, and culturally. So it certainly is a, is a part of what we're doing. Yeah. And I suspect that that makes the, uh, uh, the work that you do more compelling. I mean, to, to, to other people who, who see this coming, not just from one faith perspective, but from a variety of faith perspectives that it means something to people across the board, that it transcends our religious affiliations. I believe that's, that's true. Uh, certainly, you don't have to be a person of faith to work on the issue of gun violence, and, and the other organizations we work with generally are not faith-based, right. but ours is. And we recognize that persons of all faiths uh, can be ad- advocates for peace and justice and nonviolence. Wow. Well... Do you see any reason for hope? Uh, and I mean this on a, on a, on a kind of, uh, either on a political or legislative uh, level. Um, do, you, do you see reason for hope that there, that, for example, the grip of the NRA is loosening um, or that there might be some uh, gun legislation that uh, that that focuses in a meaningful way on decreasing violence. Do you do you are there places out there? Obviously, you have to have something to hang your hat on. Can you can you sort of articulate where it is you you find hope uh, for the future on this issue? Uh, yes, we do. Uh, we know that the work is going to continue for some time because we're not we're not there yet. But we do see hope. Uh, President Obama, uh, who was uh, who believed in uh, gun violence prevention, 
mm-hmm. did not raise mm-hmm. it as an issue when he was campaigning. Mm-hmm. Is his actions as president, but he did not campaign saying anything about it. Uh, then when Hillary Clinton ran, she did start talking about it. Uh, the 2020 midterms were a sign that we're ready to do more than just talk about it. We're ready to vote for those who are uh, publicly advocating about uh, common sense solutions to gun violence. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'll give you an example. Uh, Lucy McBath, Mm -hmm. I don't know if that name is familiar to you. She, uh, her son, Jordan Davis, uh, was shot and killed outside a convenience store in Florida. He and his buddies were playing their music too loud. Car and a man came out of the convenience store and didn't like it and shot at the car as the kids were trying to get away. None of them was armed. Uh, Lucy has been a strong Christian advocate for gun violence uh, since that happened in 2012. And this year she ran and won an election in the 6th District of Georgia. And she now serves in the United States House of Representatives. Yes, yes. Yeah, um, and within weeks of the uh, of the of the election this year and the seating of the new Congress, uh, the 2019 Congress, I should say, mm-hmm. there was a bill introduced, uh, HR eight, which is for common sense background checks, mm-hmm. is likely to pass the House. It's likely to be defeated in the Senate, but we're not gonna. We're not going to give into that yet. Right. So that is that is definitely progress. Uh, we hope to see in Congress this year, we hope to see an assault weapons ban introduced. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, so there there is hope nationally, but we also recognize that if if this is going to if if there's really going to be a difference in gun violence legislation, it's going to happen in the states. Now, some states are doing some very good work mm-hmm. uh, to pass laws uh, that will help reduce gun deaths. The state I live in, Ohio, doesn't happen to be one of those states. And I think the state where you live um, <laughs> is is not helping us out either in, in Kentucky. No, they are not. Uh, that's right. Uh, but even then, uh, last year during the lame duck session in Ohio, when tried to force through a stand-your-ground bill, there was enough opposition this time with full hearing rooms, a lot of testimony against passage of the bill. The bill passed, but it did get changed. The stand-your-ground language was taken out of it. It's still a bad bill, but it's not as bad as it could have been. And this time when we were in Columbus uh, advocating against the bill, we, we felt good that the room was full, that there were people and organizations there that had not been there in previous years. So the, the activism on this side of the issue is growing. There are in several states since Parkland High School uh, a year ago, several states have passed red flag laws where guns can be legally taken away from people if they are deemed to be a harm to themselves or to others. 
Nine states have passed red flag laws since Parkland. Mm -hmm. Here in Ohio, we are working on a grassroots background check initiative to put on the ballot, hopefully in 2020. Ohioans for Gun Safety is the name of the organization. They will be working hard to to find funds for the ballot initiative and to gather signatures and all the work that goes into something like that. Certainly, if background checks chance uh, passes on the federal level, that won't be necessary, but we're not stopping the work uh, in anticipation of that. So there, there are hopeful signs. The numbers are growing on this side of the issue. The NRA has been challenged in some ways, but we've got, we've got a long way to go. Yeah, I was in um, I, I was in the uh, Senate uh, hearing last week in Frankfurt in Kentucky. Uh, I was testifying for another uh, on another bill, but the one that came up before uh, the 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 bill I was going to testify on was this uh, expansion of concealed carry. Um, we have open carry in Kentucky that is not regulated by, you know, you don't have to you don't have to have a license or anything, but we do have concealed carry. And the, the bill was to, to, um, to do away with, uh, the regulation of, of permitting, uh, concealed carry in our state so that you could, you could carry a gun with a coat and all that kind of stuff without telling anybody ever. And one of the one of course of the uh, objections to that was that it would do away with the kind of gun safety courses that you would have to go through under the old law to receive a, a concealed carry permit, um, and it passed. Uh, but what was ironic to me, uh, ironic, um, which which is probably bad because it suggests a kind of humor, but there's no humor in it. it. One of the tragedies of that particular bill was that it came up on the one year anniversary of the Parkland shooting. And there was no sense of, there was no sense that, 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 that this was just a really bad optics for one thing, not to mention the fact that the bill is just horrific, but, um, <laughs> but, 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 one of the things that it, it 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 sort of struck me was that there's this sense that it really doesn't matter that that the gun gun culture in our state at least is so strong that you can do something as boneheaded as that yes and not get any blowback from anywhere about that well not anywhere i mean there are there are activists in the state i don't mean that but i mean but 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 they don't fear their their constituents sort of calling them and saying, hey, couldn't you find another day or anything? They just go ahead and do it. Right. It, it's just not important. The optics are not important. And that, that is irony, uh, indeed. We, uh, in Ohio, uh, there's a state preemption law that doesn't allow a city like Cleveland or any local municipality from passing mm. any law that is stricter than what the state allows and so Cleveland, which has a gun violence problem, passed several years ago, the city council unanimously passed stricter gun regulations, and the next day they were sued 
Oberlin, Ohio, uh, which did not allow guns in their city parks, mm-hmm. decided to protest that and openly carried in the park one day. And it was a tiny little park that only only families in Oberlin who knew about the park would have ever gone there. Mm-hmm. But Oberlin had to withdraw its law that guns were not allowed in parks. So it is, uh, what did you say? It was boneheaded. You know, yes. It's, just, it's, it's thoughtless. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's ugly. It's disrespectful. It's, it's, uh, it, it does harm uh, to not only to, well, does it have the possibility of doing physical harm because of loaded guns being in so many places, but it, it, it does such emotional harm uh, that the lives of people who don't want to live around guns just are not um, are not taken into consideration. Yeah, not to mention all the yeah exactly the fear that people have in occupying spaces where they they can reasonably assume there will be people brandishing weapons and so forth. It it just evinces a kind of lack of empathy about anybody else's feelings or arguably safety, but my own. Exactly. Um, When we started this work, and as I said, uh, I started the work because I was concerned about the youth in my church and how they were growing up and, and what was happening in their schools. And I have grown children and grandchildren and I, and I do this work for them as well. But because I'm a person of faith and because I'm a faith leader, I have to advocate for, for all children. Mm-hmm. Kids in, in Cleveland neighborhoods that are growing up in the, in the crossfire of drive-by shootings, of uh, a rural teenager who, who decides one day that life isn't worth living and uh, in a rash moment uses a, a gun to commit suicide. I, I have to advocate for, for all children. When the, the famous story of, of, of Jesus in the Bible, when, when Jesus held a child, much to the, the disciples' uh, chagrin, that he, he decided it would take time to hold his child. Yes. And when Jesus held that child, that wasn't his child. We don't know mm. who that child was. Uh, so we have, to, we have to be advocates for, for all children. We have to allow them to grow up. In a in a world in which a gun is not the the answer, that selling more guns and having more guns in more places owned by more people is 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 not how we want our kids to grow up. What do you think is the single biggest thing, either politically or legislatively, that would contribute to a decrease in gun violence? Well. Common sense background checks, mm-hmm. sort of easy pickings, because uh, over 90% of Americans agree that we should have universal background checks. And I, I don't know on what other subject over 90% of Americans agree. For sure. So, right. Uh, and it, that figure has been pretty consistent. It goes up and down a little, but it's, it's generally over 90, 90%. Now, when you... When you argue for background checks, there's generally a, a, a lobby, an NRA lobby, that will, will start in about, well, this, this particular shooting wouldn't, 
we wouldn't have mattered if there had been a background check. Right. Like background checks are not going to stop every single shooting, but they will help. Uh, And that would be a good place to start. Uh, Looking at what we can do for um, assault weapons that never were intended to be in in citizen hands, doing something about assault weapons. Mm -hmm. Uh, Flag laws are a good thing. Uh, But it comes down to it's, it's, it's going to take all of that and more uh, to really make a difference. There's no, the NRA will tell you that, that everything can be solved by there being more guns in more places. Mm. On the, the argument, it's much more nuanced and it's much more layered. And there's, uh, there's so many more ways that we're going to need to get at this. And it won't change uh, considerably just legislatively. It's, it's going to be a combination of legislation and the culture changing. And, and that's yeah. hard to get at, but uh, people of faith can do that. There does seem to be uh, a, a pitting against of uh, one another of uh, legislation or cultural change. Mm-hmm. But I, th- but it, but it strikes me that we're going to have to have some really potent combination of the two. Mm-hmm. in order to address this problem sufficiently. I mean, it has been done before, obviously, right? Across the, the globe, there are places that have really taken this whole problem in hand and, and really turned the tide. You know, I think of Australia, for one. Yes. Um, and yet, because of the sort of deeply ingrained cultural f- fascination uh, with gun culture, it, it, it will take more than just having laws. Do you, do you think that that, I mean, does that sound right to you? Absolutely. Absolutely, Derek. Uh, churches are so hesitant to talk about gun violence. Yes. And many churches have not had this conversation. The churches that we are invited into where I will go and preach on the issue or we will lead some sort of a conversation or an adult study uh, panel discussion about gun violence, often then it's, it's done with some trepidation uh, that uh, this is going to be too political. Yes. Uh, well, I've, I've read your books. <laughs> I, <laughs> I know how you feel about being too political uh, sure. in churches. Uh, in fact, I heard uh, uh, Shonda's interview uh, last week um, uh-huh. where she said that if a church isn't uh, isn't talking about political issues, that that means uh, you're still political. It means you're okay with the status quo. Exactly. Right. So um, it's time for us to look at this, at gun violence, as a sanctity of life issue. Uh, this yes. is about being injured, some for life, people being killed, uh, that's not political. Uh, there are ways to get at the issue that involve politics uh, and the political process, but it's sanctity of life. Uh, on, any, on any other issue, if, if uh, 40,000 lives were being lost each year, and that's, that's the new figure, 40,000 gun deaths a year, that would be a public health Issue that would be a public health crisis and would be treated as such. So you can look at it in that way as a public health crisis. Mm-hmm. Um, so 
it's also uh, an issue to get out uh, to talk about fear. Uh, Jesus tells us all the time, do not fear, do not be afraid. Why are we so afraid that we believe that we must be armed against um, strangers and against our mm-hmm. neighbors? Uh, so addressing the issue of fear is, is another way to get at it. But to just uh, dismiss it as being too political to talk about in a faith community is, is a, a pat answer to say, we just don't want to deal with this. We just don't want to talk about it. So we encourage congregations, uh, gun owners and non-gun owners alike, to to start a conversation. So that 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 would be uh, at least one of the ways that uh, houses of faith, uh, faith communities, uh, could begin to make a difference on this issue. Are are there other ways that you can think that 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 churches and synagogues, mosques, and um, and other houses of worship could could begin to drive the discussion on this? Absolutely. Uh, there are ways uh, to get involved in, in neighborhoods, uh, neighborhoods especially that, that uh, have, have far too much gun violence in them, uh, to, to talk to pastors of other churches uh, to find... Mm-hmm how they are dealing with it. Sometimes when, uh, if we haven't experienced something ourselves personally, it might seem like uh, less of an issue. But right, talking right. to um, other faith communities that have experienced gun violence up close and personal in, in some way in their congregation uh, begins to make it uh, more real. Uh, there, are, there certainly are a lot of uh, gun violence organizations to get involved with if, uh, if you want to work legislatively. Moms Demand Action is an excellent mm-hmm. to be involved with. Uh, they, they go in big numbers now uh, to state yes. to, uh, to advocate for and against bills. If you're, um, if you're a survivor of gun violence or are a family that's, that's, uh, has has had someone in your family who's, who's been a victim of gun violence. There is a wonderful organization called Survivors Empowered. That is an activist organization uh, in which uh, the advocates in that group are, are survivors. So uh, there are those organizations. You also uh, voting. I mean, voting is always important now that Mm -hmm. candidates are willing, are willing to, go on record as to how they feel about gun violence and what they would do about it. Uh, then look at if, if a candidate is getting an A rating from, for the NRA, uh, look at who's running against that candidate because chances are um, they're not going to get such a good grade from the NRA. And that information is out there. Uh, inform yourself. Uh, there are some wonderful resources out there. Uh, Gifford's Law Center to Prevent Gun Violence mm-hmm. is an excellent resource if you want to find out what the laws of your state are, um, of any state. Uh, they are just a, a wealth of, uh, of data. So, um, to Johns Hopkins research uh, is excellent um, to refer to. Um, 
Every town has very good statistical data. Uh, the information is out there. Uh, and then you take, um, armed with that information, rather than a weapon, but armed with that information, then mm-hmm. start finding ways that you can uh, engage people in conversation. Um, host a vigil at your church when there has been um, a shooting uh, close to home or one that makes national news. Uh, attend rallies. Uh, make sure that there's someone at that rally that's going to be speaking out uh, about gun violence. That's how we started, and uh, we have we have grown, and now we're um, we're generally speaking at those events. We will. We will travel and, and talk to your faith organization if you'd like someone to, to help you start that conversation. But absolutely, there are ways that, that every single one of us can be involved. Oh, that's that's so helpful. I mean, that's re- <laughs> some really, really good information. I really appreciate that. Um, and and I will put some uh, links in the show notes from, from your website and and so forth so that people can and follow up with you if, if they want or they can... Um, and, and frankly, if you, if you could send me a couple of those links, like to the Gifford center and so forth, um, I'll drop those in the show notes so people can have access to them, uh, immediately. Let me, let me ask you this. So, um, so say you are a person in the congregation who cares deeply about this, but you have a situation where it feels like your pastor or your rabbi or your priest or your imam or, 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 or whoever is a little bit more reluctant about wading into these waters. Is there some, is there something that you would tell people um, that would help them to know how to mm, help move their, their faith <laughs> leader toward entering into this discussion to, do, do you know what I mean when I say that? I, I I just think that there are people who would like to do that, but they but they are um, they're led by folks who have a lot of demands. I mean, Absolutely. there are a lot of different issues pulling on each of us, and um, and it's easy if you're in that position of leadership to, to to sort of tune things out because you have to make choices. But if you think that this is important in your in your particular community of faith, how can you help? your uh, faith leaders see that that this is something your church ought to be, or or mosque or or synagogue or whatever it should be involved in well certainly when I was um, preaching every week and leading a congregation as their pastor I wasn't uh, as free as I am now that I'm retired mm-hmm. and when I'm invited in people, expect that I'm going to to talk about gun violence. So I, I, I do have appreciation for all that that pastors have to um, have to juggle and, and deal yes. with in a congregation. Uh, but if it's an issue that's important enough to you and one that is taking so many lives, uh, I believe should be important to everyone. But if, if it is something that, you know, is it burning in your heart, I would certainly make an appointment and go in and, and talk to your pastor uh, about it and, and to find ways of uh, having a, uh, a panel discussion. Uh, 
and and having people in the community come in in to talk uh, might be easier than than saying to your pastor, "I want you to preach about gun violence next week." Sure. Uh, but, uh, in and while you're while you're having this conversation with your pastor, because it might take more than it might take more than one conversation, but there are so many other ways to be involved that don't involve your local congregation. I mean, certainly, I would like to see every disciples congregation having this congregation, having this conversation. Mm-hmm. But there are other ways to be involved um, beyond your local congregation. That's that can be said about every justice issue. We don't we don't get everything we need from uh, our local congregation. True. But I would uh, starting the conversation. Uh, you know, this as a as a pastor, Derek. You. You, you start the conversation and, and then you just keep keep going. Once once people are are talking about it, I think you find that that people are are reasonable. Um, but also uh, at some point you have to say, what would Jesus have me to do about this? Absolutely. Jesus have me buy into the the culture of fear that is causing um, this critical issue. Um, would Jesus have me buy into a culture of fear that says that I'm too afraid to say anything about it? Um, right. We, we have to, at some point, live our faith. And uh, that's never been easy. But uh, if we call ourselves Christian, uh, that's what we have to do. So uh, certainly I would uh, be a resource person. Uh, our organization would be a resource for anyone who uh, is hesitant to start or doesn't feel like they have uh, enough information first, we would be happy to have that conversation or uh, to come in and, and help you uh, begin one. But uh, you know, pray about it. Uh, but while you're praying about it, pray for God to help you see what you can do about it. Yes, that's. I think that's really. Um, I think that's really helpful. You know, another thing it seems to me uh, I hadn't really thought about in this context before, but one of the things you can do for a pastor or a or a faith leader who you who is sympathetic to the issue but feels like that they are um, that it's much touchier and are mm-hmm. somewhat reluctant to. Is you can help provide some political cover for your yes. faith leader by saying um, this is important. We need we need to talk about this and and raising it with the rest of the congregation so that that provides a point of access for the faith leader to come into the conversation uh, rather than feeling like they sort of have to wade into it all by themselves and not know who's behind them. Right. Um, that 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 may be a practical way of of helping just move this conversation along. Right. And uh, I would, most congregations uh, have committees or teams, uh, ministry teams, uh, Mm -hmm. a social justice team, a peace and justice team, whatever uh, uh, it's called in your particular faith congregation. Uh, And those committees uh, generally uh, are good at at hosting events or uh, starting conversations and uh, not everything not everything is is uh, laid at the at the pastor's feet that uh, you're the one that has to do something about this indeed and uh, uh, so yes i would i think there are all sorts of ways to be involved. let me ask you uh, there is th- there are 
all kinds of pitfalls in 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 social justice activism and advocacy that each area has its own kinds of sensitive uh things that you that you may not know about uh if you're not familiar with the 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 territory mm-hmm. um what are some of the uh, things based on your experience that uh, people in religious organizations ought to avoid so as not to make things worse in this uh, area of, of um, uh, violence and gun reform? Well, personally, uh, for us at our organization, as, as I said when, um, when I started, when I was describing the work that we do, we, we were formed around... Um, mass shootings, especially the one at Sandy Hook. Right. Uh, we very quickly found out that mass shootings only account for a very small percentage of total gun deaths. Right. Uh, that it's the, the daily toll. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we realized that we uh, needed to find out more about the, the city in which we were doing this work. So we started involving ourselves more with with local organizations here. And I think maybe one of the pitfalls that we might find as faith communities is thinking that we have all the answers or that we're the only uh, only faith community or only organization out there uh, doing the work. I think everything we do, we have to do collaboratively uh, yes. and collegially and uh, cooperatively. And we are, uh, one of our goals this year is to expand our our reach into um, some neighborhoods here in Cleveland that we have not uh, previously uh, been involved in. And uh, But we're not going into those neighborhoods uh, saying that God Before Guns has the answer to your gun violence uh, issue, uh, we're going in and listening. Uh, We had a a meeting with Metro Health Hospital, our our county hospital, a few weeks ago uh, to see what what they are doing proactively, not just treating uh, gunshot wounds, but what they are doing in the community. And we want to be a part of that, uh, but we don't come in saying, um, this is what you ought to do. And... uh, we find that in, uh, in, in churches where um, we need to, to be listening to each other. Uh, and before we launch whatever social justice effort it is that we launch, we need to realize that we need to listen to each other. And then we need to, to listen outside of the doors of our church um, to see what is really needed, to see what's really happening, and to see where it is that that we might fit where we might be able to make a difference. Yeah, I think that is so important to to begin to understand yourself not as the most important ingredient, but as just part of the process mm-hmm. um, of dealing with these issues. And being a part of the process requires a certain amount of humility yes. and uh, the 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 commitment to listening to the people who are most directly affected by this. Uh, by this issue. Um, Chris, I really want to thank you for taking the time to talk to me about this. This has been so helpful. 
to think about the, the multiple ways that you can be involved, but also the kinds of resources that are available if you want to do this. So I, I just want to thank you for, uh, for the work that you do and for taking time to be with me today. Uh, absolutely. I really appreciate the invitation. In any way that we can get the, the word out and be a, a resource to people, we are, we are happy to do that. So thank you, Derek. I want to thank my guest today, the Reverend Christine Eggert, co-founder of God Before Guns. And I want to thank you for tuning in to Community of Resistance. Until next time...